Welcome in to Locked On Knicks, and we have big news today. Tom Thibodeau is the NBA's Coach of the Year. Well-deserved, Gavin. I think that he did more than enough to win this award. Uh, What are we going to talk about as far as this big achievement, second yearly award that the Knicks managed to collect this year as well after Julius Randle's most improved player? Well, we'll sum up his first season in New York, talk about what was his greatest accomplishment in that opening season, how much credit he gets for the turnaround relative to guys like Kenny Payne and Johnny Bryant and the front office, and then uh, what does he have to improve for next year? I'm sure we'll have a lot of thoughts on that. All of it and more right now on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. Starts with a five. Ewing for the win. Yes. Up, up left. Now fires it. He's good. And he's fouled. And he's fouled. Anthony for three. Welcome in to Locked On Knicks. This episode is brought to you by Locker Room. Download the Locker Room app on iOS or Android. It's on Android now. And join Gavin and I this week on Thursday at 5.30 p.m. to get in on the action. Locker Room changing the way we talk sports. I'm Alex Wolf. I'm editor-in-chief of Knicks site, The Strickland, which you can find at thestrick.land. He's Gavin Shaw, a resumed play-by-play man. Uh, doing lots of work, Gavin, on the on the the play by play front. What are you, where are you headed to this week? Oh man, I'm going to uh, Roslyn High School in Long Island to broadcast some girls high school lacrosse. Have some uh, boys playoff games at the end of the week. Very, I'm sure I've mentioned this in the podcast at some point, but very few people know this. Long Island is is the world's capital of lacrosse. Who knew? Uh, but yeah, so it's a lot of fun. I'm, I'm excited right. for it. Big time lax stuff going on, but big time Nick stuff going on in Nick's land. We have Tom Thibodeau is the NBA's coach of the year. And the, the voting actually broke down kind of interestingly. Uh, he did not get the most first place votes. That actually was Monty Williams of Phoenix. Got 45 first place votes to Tibbs's 43. But Tibbs smoked him in second place votes with 42 to Williams's 32. And ultimately, that was enough to push him ahead in the point system. So Tibbs ends up with 351 total points. Monty Williams gets 340. Next best guy, not really worth mentioning, but Quinn Snyder of Utah, shout to David Locke, our boss, gets 161 points uh, to get the third place there, followed by Doc Rivers, Nate McMillan, Steve Nash, and Michael Malone. Kind of crazy that Nate McMillan got 12 third place votes after taking over midseason two. I would say well-deserved given how how well Atlanta finished the season and the fact that they smoked the Knicks in the playoffs. But we're not here to bring up those old demons of a week ago. We're here to talk about Tibbs winning Coach of the Year. Gavin, there's so many great stats. I'm gonna, I'll start by throwing out a couple, then I'll throw it to you if you want to take a few. But uh, the, the big one that was brought up, I think, the most throughout the season, obviously, was the defense. That's Tibbs' calling card. A lot of people, us included, were worried that you know he was not going to adjust 
well enough to, you know, the, the present day NBA after his last stop in Minnesota, you know, the Minnesota teams that he coached were never actually that great on defense. Uh, they were mostly offensive teams, but now when we look at it, we see the personnel like with cat manning the middle and stuff and we go, okay, yeah, maybe that makes sense. Cause cat has never really been part of a good defense in the NBA because he's not a rim protector as a center. At any rate, the Knicks end up fourth in defensive rating this year at 107.8. That was only one point off of the league-leading Lakers, 0.8 points higher than the top seed in the East Sixers, and 0.3 points higher than the top seed in the West Utah Jazz. So pretty good company there in the top four, the defending champions in the two one seeds. They were number one in opponent three-point percentage at 33.7%, which everybody said all year was going to regress. It never really did. The only time it kind of, I guess, quote-unquote regressed was in the playoffs against the Hawks, but I I think the Hawks just kind of caught fire, uh, and and their whole team was basically built to be shooters, so that is its own thing. Uh, They were also number one in opponent point per game at 104.7%. That's just the raw points per game numbers. They were number one in the entire NBA in that. That probably has something to do with the fact that the Knicks were dead last in pace at 96.32. Uh, that's the like the like basically a measure of, of how many possessions the team generates per game and all that. So 96.32 was good for lowest in the league. Some of the highest teams were well over 100. Uh, Gavin, though, I, I think that one thing that got a little bit uh, a little bit underrated was the offensive impact that Tibbs had on this team as well. No, uh, definitely. And I mean, the maybe the single most stunning stat for the Knicks this season was that they finished third in the NBA in three point percentage. If you had if you had read all of these off to me preseason, I would have that would have been the one where I was like, no way, you're, you're not actually from the future, buddy. Uh, there's no way the Knicks are going to finish top three in the NBA. I mean, look, look at what we thought of this team coming in. We said, all right, they're, they're going to get no shooting from the center spot, which which did come to fruition. Randall's awful. RJ's awful. Uh, both of those obviously did not end up being true. Reggie's really, really good, but does he do it on a high enough volume to affect the team's overall percentage? As it turns out, yeah. Um, if, you, if you'd if asked me about quickly, I would have said, yeah, you know, hopefully I'll have some moments this year. But most rookies, especially if, if you knew the degree of difficulty of a lot of the attempts he was going to be taking, you'd be saying, all right, he'll probably, like a good season for quickly, you would have said, would have been like taking like, I don't know, like seven threes per 36 minutes or 48 minutes or whatever metric you want to use um, and hitting league average rates of them. so like 35, 36%. Instead, he's he's right around 40%. That dramatically shifted the Knicks um, overall team percentage. And then even someone like Obi getting his act together by the end of the season uh, made that final number look a little bit better. So you go up and down the roster and just a stunning amount of success from distance. And that's without um, Austin Rivers, who I remember Alex coming into the season, and maybe, I mean, uh, looking back on it, he was a pretty average three-point shooter throughout his career. But if you'd asked me coming into the year, I would have said, yeah, you know, there's a chance he's maybe the Knicks' best three-point shooter, or at least he leads the team in made threes this year. That obviously did not happen. He's doing that for Denver now. Um, So just a shocking season in in terms of three-point shooting. That was pretty nuts. The Knicks were just 24th in the NBA in three-point frequency, which I think was a metric that certainly came into play in their playoff loss and something next year. I think they're going to have to find a way to continue to shoot it with relatively the same amount of efficiency and at higher volume, which is a massive, massive challenge to not have a big trade-off there. 
Um, if you want to talk about most impressive stats, it was the fact that, and, and some good research by you here, uh, people had them, or experts, quote unquote, had them as low as 13 wins coming into the season as their over-under or projected win total. Vegas had them at 22 and a half for their over-under. Um, we've noted a couple times on this pod, but I thought it was pretty amazing. That was the lowest over-under, or, or rather they were the first team to have the lowest over-under in the NBA to then go on to make the playoffs. That number was tied with OKC. And Cleveland, uh, they were seventh in the league in corner three-point frequency, which is um, obviously that, that's per cleaning the glass. That's the shot that every team in the league wants to get to. So it gives you an idea that Tibbs was running at least something resembling a modern offense or at the very least, quote-unquote, good stuff to get those kind of shots. Julius Randle winning most improved player. R.J. Barrett receiving votes. I, I think, again, you, you you give me the time travel scenario of someone comes to me in October of this year and says, hey, look, look at all these cool stats that you'll see at the end of the next season. That that right there with the three-point percentage probably would have been the one that put the single biggest smile on my face. And I was like, oh, come on. There's no way. There's no way. Julius Randle, he's going to be good. RJ, he's going to be make a leap. Amazing. Um, and then another thing that you noted, Alex, that I, I thought was, I mean, probably underrated and uh, will be will be a point of contention in our, in our next uh, segment when we talk about what Tibbs' greatest achievement was this year. But the fact that he lost Mitchell Robinson, who I, I think, because of the fact that the Knicks didn't really fall off without him, his season will go underrated, but was having an incredible, incredible borderline all defense type of season. And they were essentially didn't get worse on defense, stayed about the same. It is pretty ridiculous with Taj Gibson and Nerlens Noel. But as we saw in the playoffs, both have immense strengths, but do not have the overall impact that Mitchell Robinson has defensively. That was pretty amazing. And then one final one that you noted, Alex, Derek Rose turning into a completely different player um, in his time in New York than he was in Detroit. Uh, but, you know, it was, it was Derek Rose ultimately would be described as a great midseason hire. If you want to make your own great midseason hire, you know, people, people don't like it when I sneak up on them with the ads. They're like, ah, just, just, just tell me it's a break. Well, it's a break. We're talking about Indeed. You're the hiring expert for your company, and what you really need is help making your short list of quality candidates. You need a hiring partner who helps make your life easier. You need Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three. Post, screen, and interview all on Indeed. Get your quality short list of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster. Only pay for the candidates that meet must-have qualifications and schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. With tools like Indeed Instant Match, you get quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your job description immediately and Indeed skills tests that on average reduce hiring time by 27%. You know, if if someone like Julius Randle could keep improving his three-point percentage by 27%, you'd be feeling pretty good about yourself. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. That's ridiculous. If you're hiring, you need Indeed. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash locked. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash lock. Indeed.com slash lock. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. And today's show is also brought to you by Built Bar. Did you know that Built Bar has nine delicious flavors plus the occasional limited time flavor? And when you talk to Built Bar fans, they are definitely passionate about their favorites. I, I think I am the testament to that. I love my coconut almond bar. Reminds me so much of an Almond Joy that I almost would just eat the Built Bar over an actual Almond Joy because I don't have to feel guilty about eating the Built Bar. 
That's because Built Bars have 17 grams of protein compared to just 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and 4 grams of net carbs in most bars. And you really can't beat that number on any other protein bar out there. They legitimately taste, feel, look like a candy bar while giving you tons of protein, not a lot of sugar, not a lot of fillers, not a lot of the stuff you don't need in your body. So if you want to get some Built Bars for yourself, go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your first order. You can order a mixed box if you want to try all of their nine flavors. They're all fantastic. So make sure to try that out. You'll get two of each of all the nine flavors in a box. Again, use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. All right, and that's it for this ad break. So back into Tibbs talk. Uh, Gavin, I, I wanted to kind of talk about, I think we started sort of highlighting them at the end of the first segment, but, you know, that there's a lot of things to potentially pick on here as as the answer to this question. But what do you think Tibbs' greatest achievement was this year out of out of all the possible things, out of the, the improved defense, the the huge turnarounds from the players, the overall turnaround for the team, the, you know, beating expectations. What do you stood out as the, as the big thing with Tibbs this year that led to him getting this coach of the year award? Yeah, I think if if you want to go specific, I would say it was putting Julius Randle and I'll even say the offensive players collectively in a position to have a lot of success. And and I'm sure hearing that uh, burns a lot of people's ears because they were like, all right, but then what, what happened in the playoffs? I, I would say, all right, di- different story. And clearly the Atlanta Hawks are, are, are pretty good. But uh, throughout the regular season, I mean, we, we talked about it all year. The fact that Randall just seemed to know what he was doing, where he was going, where his outlets were on every play. And, and look, I, I'm not making the case that, that Tibbs got Julius Randall to this point. I think Randall and and his like personal training staff deserve the vast majority of credit for uh, completely revamping his shot, for getting him to another place physically than he's been in his entire career. And yet, I don't think that stuff would have paid off in the same way if Tibbs didn't make um, his job as simple as it could possibly be, given the relatively limited personnel around him. And and, and the playoffs, in some ways, if you want to look at it from a positive perspective, only serve to further highlight just how difficult what they accomplished was. And the fact that like on an individual level, RJ, as much as he made a jump this year, still relatively limited, right? Like it isn't going to create a ton of his own offense efficiently at the highest possible stage. And there's nothing wrong with that. He's, he's what, 20, 21 years old. Um, same with Reggie Bullock, same with, with the Knicks centers, especially Sans Mitchell Robinson. Um, and, and even Derek Rose, who, who was so spectacular for this team, you could only put so much on. And yet Tibbs cobbled together this offense that, down the stretch of the year, was playing like one of the top 10 offenses all of basketball. The Knicks had these 10-game stretches where they were scoring more efficiently than any team in the league. And given the talent on this roster, even if you could just argue like, look, it was a generous schedule, they got hot at the right time, all those things are true. And yet, without Tibbs, I really don't think they would that would they would have happened. And for a guy who our biggest question about coming in was, can he coach modern offense? Can he innovate? Can, is, is he willing to shift? from what's been his bread and butter his whole career that worked in Chicago and honestly worked in Minnesota to a pretty great extent, but was really lacking in some very specific areas. And and we, we anticipated, I think correctly, if he wasn't willing to shift, 
this team would not be very good offensively given the talent there. And instead, he actually elevated the personnel. I think that was an incredible accomplishment. And, and given the talent on offense relative to the talent on defense, even though they were far better on defense than they were on offense, I would actually argue that was that was probably the bigger deal. But I'll also just say in a holistic sense, completely revamping the culture of this team. And and, and this was a culture that under David Fisdale was, I mean, I, I don't need to tell anyone listening, but was completely broken, right? We, we had different, the locker room was clearly segmented. Last year, you constantly saw um, Alfred Payton and Julius Randle peeling off and playing their own brand of basketball. Um, R.J. Barrett and those guys seemingly like throwing each other dirty looks and like, why, why aren't you passing me the ball? I'm like, all right, get out of the way, Rook. You're, you're not really meant for this. From that to him and Julius acting like best friends. Oh, the, the entire bench mob, I mean, led by Theo Pinson, like celebrating play in and play out it, to the point that you would, you would after every play, you'd look over to the bench just to see what their reaction was. I mean, the, the infectious energy that the two rookies brought in Emmanuel quickly and Obi Toppin I, I, every single time they came in, we, we, we only got to see in the postseason was as the first time we, we, we saw a full crowd, but I think Alex, you and I, and everyone we interacted with on Twitter, you could feel the energy that those guys brought. And I don't know if you want to credit Tibbs for, I, I mean, I'll, I'll give Tibbs credit for playing both of them. When I, I think in past seasons, he would have been like, ah, they're not really ready. The second time, quickly missed two straight 30-footers. He would have been on the bench for five games. That was not the case this year with Tibbs. He trusted quickly. He trusted Obi, And it, it really paid off, I mean, both from a on-the-court perspective and I think just from an emotional lift perspective. So it, I, I think the front office played a really significant role in that as well. But you have to give Tibbs, I mean, a, a guy who is known as a hard-ass, and, and in Minnesota and in Chicago – wore out his welcome because he just pushed his teams a little bit too much going from that to someone that Julius Randle on, on a podcast halfway through the year was, was kind of implying was a big softy at this point. So you, you just got to give someone like him a lot of credit for changing, especially at his age. He's older than 60 people. It, it's hard to change when you're in your twenties. It, it's incredibly difficult to shift. I mean, both your ideology and seemingly your personality and, and, and some of your core tenants that late in life, but Tibbs did it, and it paid off in a big way. So shout out to him because he completely revitalized this franchise by doing so. Just a reminder, today's episode is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. If you're smart, maybe you placed a bet on Tibbs for Coach of the Year on BetOnline prior to this being announced and, and came through with a pretty good windfall of cash there. Uh, but if you didn't, you can always bet on him for next year. Maybe he'll win, you know, repeat. But baseball season is also in full swing. You can track all the action at Bet Online. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including the MLB, NBA, NHL, and all of your UFC and MMA action. Before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore as this is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs, or in the case of basketball and hockey, are in the playoffs. Head to betonline.ag or use your mobile device today to sign up and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with promo code LOCKEDON. Again, that's promo code LOCKEDON at betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Today on the road to the finals, our NBA playoffs coverage is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. And at 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, we can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season. And I think on that note, you know, I was going to say something kind of similar as far as the culture, but I'll, I'll relay it to like the defense. Um, I think that was 
largely what we were, I, I wouldn't even say expecting, but hoping for from Tibbs was that the defense was going to be the calling card of him and of this team. Because when was the last time that the Knicks had a good defensive team? It's been, I mean, I guess depending on how you look at the the 12-13 team under Woodson, you know, they were playing such a fast pace and and everything else that, you know, that their defensive numbers were not like tops in the league. But based off of how they were playing, the defensive numbers were pretty good. It was kind of that like Suns effect where like the Phoenix Suns back in the day of like seven seconds or less used to, you know, they would have pretty high defensive ratings and all that stuff. But when you would contextualize it to just how good their offense, offense was with net rating and all that, you know, that, that was kind of the effect of the the 12-13 team where they, they were so good offensively that the defensive numbers, you know, were being like middle of the road was good because that was, you know, it offset everything well enough. Um, but with the with this year's team, you know, obviously the offense, the offense did its thing and, and won them games when they had to at times, particularly on the win streak. The offense actually looked borderline elite at times. You know, they were finally scoring. 115, 120, 125, 130 points per game. But for most of the season, it was grinded out, you know, first team to 100 sort of games. Uh, And, you know, the Knicks didn't always get to 100, but they almost always held the other team to around 100. Um, And that's that's impressive in today's NBA. Tibbs, you know, brought that along. And, you know, we already mentioned it in the last segment, but I'll just kind of expand on it a little bit. It's, It's very impressive that he managed to take the loss of Mitchell Robinson, who was really like the defensive core of this team and will probably continue to be the defensive core of this team as long as the Knicks retain him, you know, and manage to turn him, you know, to, to not get completely devastated by the loss of a player like that. I mean, Mitch is, Mitch is really good on defense and he's, I think a really, really improved rebounder too this year and, you know, did a lot for the Knicks in that facet of the game as well. So, you know, when you look at the impact that he had, both as, you know, a rebounder, not even necessarily grabbing the most rebounds, but boxing out the biggest guy on the other team, the Clint Capellas of the world, and then what he can offer on on uh, defense with the, the shot-blocking ability around the rim, just the rim deterrence in general, the fact that he just, like, scares guys away from the rim by how good of a shot-blocker he is, uh, the fact that he reeled the fouls in quite a bit this year and was able to play good minutes you know, without getting into foul trouble and then that switchability onto the perimeter where he can block a guy's three pointer uh, out on the three point line. And in a way that almost no other player in the NBA can on a consistent basis. I mean, he's a really special defensive player. Knicks lose him for two separate absences, really tragic. I mean, obviously, you know, the, the hand thing was kind of a freak injury the foot injury, the second one, is a little more worrisome for his overall career. Hopefully he's able to recover from that fully this offseason and come back next year ready to rock. But, you know, to be able to go from a player like Mitch and then slot in Nerlens Noel, who's like very physically limited in the NBA. I mean, there's a reason that – so there's a reason that he has a rep as a good defensive player, and that's because, you know, we saw so many games where he would get like six, seven, eight stocks, you know, steals plus blocks – uh, you know, he played the passing lane so well. He had that strategy of baiting guys into the lane just to absolutely destroy them uh, in one-on-one, like, block situations when guys are trying to go up for layups and dunks. You know, he had all those moments, and they were all fantastic. But we saw this in the playoffs, obviously. He's 
he's physically limited. He's he's a stick. You know, he just he's he hasn't put on weight to this point in his NBA career. So the defensive instincts are fantastic, but you know, he gets pushed around, especially on rebounds. He doesn't have great hands on offense, so he can't finish, you know, lobs like Mitch can and all that stuff. So, you know, that's sort of the difference between him and Mitchell Robinson is that, you know, Noel just hasn't filled out and it it really harms him and can make him, you know, borderline unplayable in some games or or in the case of the Hawks series series. Uh, And then you have Taj Gibson, who is like the ageless wonder. We joked all season that he was on PEDs. Uh, because like it seems like the only explanation for how a guy that's in his mid 30s could be playing as well as he's playing and you know playing the minutes that he plays without being phased by it um you know and just completing honestly some of the really tough athletic plays that he managed to do like i mean he was blocking guys on the perimeter from time to time just like Mitchell Robinson which is wild to think for a guy who's undersized older, all that stuff still has that kind of pop to his game, plus just like timing and, you know, overall ability. But those two, as a sum, should not equal a Mitchell Robinson. You could take the best of both of their skill sets and put them into one player, and you still wouldn't end up with Mitchell Robinson, in my opinion. And yet, even with having to balance what their their strengths and weaknesses were, and, you know, sort of balance the the set, the fulcrum of his defense Tibbs still managed to keep this team playing you know top level NBA defense all the way through the season if you look back at you know Tibbs's best defensive teams the one guy that was there always was Joakim Noah and Noah was one of the best defensive bigs in the NBA like for a really long time won a defensive player of the year under Tibbs had the you know the season two where he uh, finished in, I think, the top four in MVP voting, which was insane given the fact that he was like a 13-point-per-game player uh, for most of his career. He was never a big scorer or anything like that. Just that impact that he brought for Tibbs was what allowed them to to be such good defenses uh, and the fact that he was one of the best defensive players in the league. And it seemed like Mitch was going to fill that role. Then the injuries happened. Tibbs still manages to make it work with the, the two replacement guys who – make no mistake, are replacement-level players. They were not all-stars or something or, like, hidden gems. Um, I do think that maybe Noel deserved almost some some credit for towards, like, some uh, uh, all-defense team votes or something because he did do a really, really great job with what he was given, but he's ultimately not, like, a building block type player that you could build your whole defense around because of those obvious limitations against bigger centers. Um, but, yeah, all in all... That is to say, I, I think Tibbs' biggest accomplishment was keeping keeping this defense together the whole season, even with you know whatever adversities they faced with, as far as the center spot. And it, when that's obviously the, the most important spot in his defense is to keeping things together, is having a center in there that can control the action on the inside, make sure that there's you know rim deterrence and, and the guys can't get to the rim because that's like, the first tenet of Tibbs's defense uh, is keeping guys away from the rim. And uh, so the, the fact that he was able to piece together that defense, which was really the lifeblood of the team for the whole year with the injury at the most important spot, I think is the the longest enduring legacy to me other than the obvious things you said, Gavin, like the culture change and all that stuff. That's obviously very important as well. You know, it's, it's the buzzword in NBA circles is culture. Um, so, you know, we'll, obviously be talking about that for a long time 
All right, and that's where we're going to wrap up this first episode, talking about all the positives of Tibbs' year. Obviously, a well-deserved Coach of the Year award. But we did want to talk about room for improvement uh, and how much credit he deserves for some of the, the individual player accolades this year and player improvement. So we have a second episode coming that's going to feature that, where we're going to talk about uh, – you know, how much credit Tibbs deserves for guys like Julius Randle making their turnarounds, RJ Barrett, uh, how much credit he deserves for the rookies, things like that. And then also just talk about things that he needs to improve on for next season. Uh, we'll get into all that in the next episode of Locked on Knicks, where we continue going over Tibbs' Coach of the Year. <laughs>